Welcome to the Menlo Midweek Podcast, where we are getting some extra time with the speaker from last Sunday's message to go a little deeper, get some extra thoughts about the message, and get a behind-the-scenes look at their teaching process. We're your hosts, Mark and Jess. Thank you so much for joining us. This is Menlo Midweek. Hey, everybody. Mark here. And before we jump into today's conversation, I'd just like to say thank you for your constant support and generosity towards the online ministry here at Menlo Church. I get so encouraged every Sunday when I'm hopping on menlo.online.church or YouTube to watch alongside our community there where we're watching the service live stream, sharing prayer requests with each other and engaging with community and encouragement. That has been such a bright spot in my week and always leaves me feeling encouraged. I'm also super grateful for those that have texted in questions and comments for our fill in the blank podcast, as well as our Menlo Midweeks. And this is all made possible by your continuous generosity. So thank you for partnering with the life change that is happening through these podcasts and through this ministry. And to continue to support or to support for the first time, all you have to do is go to menlo.church slash give and designate your gift to the online ministry here. Thank you very much. I'm super encouraged. And now let's get into today's conversation. Welcome to the Menlo Midweek Podcast, everybody. My name is Mark. And I'm Jessica. And we have our senior pastor, Phil Eubank, with us. Woo! Up, no longer new. No just, longer yeah, new. You could even just say Phil. I think people probably know. No, well, we have Maybe. to wait a little bit for sure. that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah. We lost new. We can keep senior. Yep. Well, we can keep senior pastor. And then we can drop senior. So you could just be pastor. Sure. Just Phil. And then we'll get, we'll get there. Just, just Phil. Just Phil. <laughs> if it was good enough for my mom. If Charlie thought it was good enough to get me, you know? Aww. All right. All right. Yeah. yeah. I guess we can do that. And I, I, her it, name's Charlotte, but she goes by Charlie. Oh, okay. My, my, dad, my dad called her Chuck. Did she like As that? As one dad would. I think that it was like an endearing thing for the two mm. of them. Mm. Okay. I think, yeah. Was it like he was the only person that can do that? Yeah, I don't think other people, like if I was feeling sassy as a teenager, I tried it. It uh, didn't go well. <laughs> who would have thought that yeah, wouldn't yeah. have went well? Hey, a Chuck, sassy teenager? That, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Chuck, come on. Let me go little, back for seconds on that. She had these, uh, the, called the, the chicken peck. My mom is all of five foot tall. Nice. Uh, first generation Russian American Jew. And so like she just comes at you with these little finger, uh, these little uh, fingernails and she would like pinch your side and she could do it in public. She could do it anywhere oh, in yeah. church Woo-hoo. and it just crippled you. You mm. were like, I think you could take down the rock. It's the hand these. of God. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like her version of Thanos. That's, yeah. yeah. Yes. The chicken peck. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. Chicken peck. That's so funny. It had a name too. I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely not old yet. I mean, going by what your number was on Sunday, today would be your 59th or 60th day Something on like staff? that. Mm-hmm. Something wow. like that. Yep. Look at that. We're almost at two months, everybody. We're almost at two <laughs> months. Is three months the like trial period like everybody else? <laughs> yeah, I think it is actually. <laughs> you get a yeah, 90 days. I think it is. We'll see what happens. We'll Send let us your feedback. Know. Let's do a 90-day evaluation Ooh. of you guys to me on the podcast. All right. I am fully on board. I feel like that fits your personality type oh, yeah, pretty yeah. well. <laughs> well, when people are like, like let's oh, go. Yeah. What, no, when people are like, oh, you know, I don't know if I'm ready for feedback. I'm like, give me all the feedback. <laughs> like, I'd love all of it. Please. Yeah. Yeah, that's so funny. Well, send us your feedback, 650. <laughs> well, and it's true. Like, if you're an Enneagram person, uh, Enneagram 8 is like, I actually grow through conflict. So mm-hmm. being able to navigate it well, like I want to navigate it well, but navigating conflict well with people is actually how I, we get to the other side. And I'm like, oh, they actually care enough about me to do mm-hmm. something uncomfortable. And Alyssa's a nine, which is like super peacemaker. And so um, that I feel like 
I know if she's willing to work through conflict, it's because she really genuinely does care about me because she yeah. would prefer to avoid conflict at all costs. So Interesting. That makes, when I run your message through that context, it <laughs> makes what you said this past weekend just fit so much better yeah. because <laughs> I wrote down in my notes here, midweek, heavy. Jesus on the cross. And that's like the first two lines. <laughs> yeah. You should make this. that the title of the podcast. Spoiler alert, everybody. Yes. Heavy. Hey, just Heavy. so you know, Heavy. the entire series is Jesus on the cross. Yeah. So yeah. we are not done with the yeah. heavy part. We might want to let parents know, maybe not a good series to bring your kids into the young yeah, kids. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I try to I try to be very thoughtful, very thoughtful about the way that we talk about. So even this week I talked about because I really wanted us to like, I mean, we're setting the scene that we're going to be at for a few weeks together. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I talked about how we kind of see Jesus on the cross typically. And I think a lot of times Jesus still is like this European Jesus with hair product in. And he's like looking pretty great mm. still. And it's like, oh, that is so far removed yeah. than what he actually was. And mm -hmm. so. I talked a little bit about some of it, and I read something from uh, C.S. Lewis that I think was, I mean, he's, it was profound. It was yeah. so incredibly thoughtful. And, uh, but one, at one point I talked about how we envisioned Jesus and the thieves on the cross with loincloths, but they probably wouldn't have had yeah. them. And there were a lot of ways I could have said that. Uh, <laughs> and mm -hmm. I chose to say uh, they were probably fully exposed. Like I said mm -hmm. it that way, mm -hmm. so that if you're a little kid, mm -hmm. you're like, ah, this is gonna kind of fly over yeah. my head. But yeah. if you're a grown up, you can go, oh my gosh, this is so much worse than I thought. And I think, um, we don't know that, like there's actually some scholarly uh, debate about whether or not, sometimes for uh, Jewish uh, crucifix victims, um, they actually did put something over them uh, as a sign of respect, but I'm guessing in Jesus' case, they did not. <laughs> yeah, there's um, like no respect but, here. Uh, anyway, so I, it, it is not lost on me, but I also want to make sure we don't perpetuate this anesthetized version of the cross. Yep. Mm -hmm in the way we talk about it from the scriptures. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was a big portion of how you painted and set it up and invited people into saying, hey, you might have heard this a thousand times, right. but let's really take in the gravity of the moment. So for those that might have missed it, can you repaint that picture for us? And I'll try to remain happy and positive through this. <laughs> I got you guys. I'm yeah, the Enneagram Jess. 7 That's here. Good. I got you. Come on, party. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I think if you don't know the story of Jesus, he has uh, lived on planet Earth for 30 years, fully God, fully man. Um, ha hashtag hypostatic union. Uh, however, he has, um, uh, the book of Philippians would refer to it as an emptying. Theologically, you'd call it kenosis where he has, um, essentially, there's no S on his chest. Like, Jesus is living uh, fully man, actually for real, uh, and feels pain and experiences difficulty and challenge. And then at 30 years old, begins his public ministry. We talked about that last week. Uh, it kind of kicks off at this baptism with John the baptizer, and then his fasting for 40 days, and then directly tempted by Satan. Um, we just really got the series started off on a, on a super fun, yeah. exciting. Um, and then this week, we skip forward three years to the end of Jesus' ministry, uh, where he has now been um, arrested, put on trial, convicted, and is being executed, all of which were in violation of the civil and religious laws of the day. But the religious leaders were so scared that Jesus represented 
um, really a threat to the Judea to the Judean way of life, uh, and and really to a certain extent, you kind of get it. Like he did, he absolutely did, and so uh, they were willing to do whatever was necessary to preserve tradition. We should take notes on that concern, mm-hmm. um, and then we find him hanging on the cross. He's been uh, he's been scourged. Uh, which I did not get into, that would have been mm. much more graphic. Mm. Um, I don't know that it's the extent of what we see in Passion of the Christ. Mel Gibson has a theological vision of pre-Vatican II Roman Catholicism that he's bringing to bear in the artistic depiction, but it looks more like what we see in that movie mm. than what we typically think. And so uh, Jesus is absolutely destroyed. Isaiah 53 says that he's literally unrecognizable as a human. Um, and then he's hung on the cross from there. And that's where we picked up this weekend. Um, and there are these thieves that have been put next to him. We'll get a chance to lean into that conversation this weekend. And uh, that one is like, I'll get emotional just thinking about it because I think um, that is us. Like there, mm-hmm. I think both thieves, well, I don't want to talk about my message next week already, but uh, <laughs> both thieves on the cross live in us, each one of them live in us. Um, and so Jesus, he he looks through the, tears and the blood that are uh, kind of pouring down his face and the sweat and he's exhausted and he's dehydrated and literally just breathing hurts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And uh, we just talked about um, how beautiful it is that our ignorance and our forgetfulness and even for those of us who are followers of Jesus, that there's grace for that. And uh, that if he was willing to do that for, uh, especially the Jewish people who knew the prophecies or should have, um, if he was willing to do that for them, how much more is he willing to do that for the ignorance of our moment, mm. um, for the neighbor that you have, for the coworker that you have, for the family member that you have? And you go like, they legit don't know any better. Like mm. they literally don't know this, and uh, that that Jesus has this kind of grace and forgiveness waiting for them i think is uh, a pretty beautiful picture so such a powerful part of that and i think will be a theme through our entire series is the fact that he had like to speak was so painful right and yet mm-hmm. here he did speak all of these things and so it like if you're gonna give the energy to say something and you it's like such hard energy it's gonna be so good right and so it's like that part to me is just like ooh, yeah right these are going to be really, really good things that he says. Which, I mean, to be fair, all of the things he said were really right. good. His whole ministry, but he's pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. Jesus. I guess. I yeah. guess. But I think I mentioned this this weekend. The Apostle Paul. I don't know that he anticipated a letter like Second Timothy being in the Bible. That may be a controversial statement, but it is. It's inspired. I believe that the Bible is infallible, inspired, inerrant, etc. Uh, but the nature of inspiration is that the authors, like Paul wrote other letters that didn't get included in the New Testament. Mm. Like he was just writing letters. That was the way that they communicated. So Mm -hmm. he was applying the Hebrew scriptures, telling the story of the gospel going forth in the first century, telling the story of his own transformation and helping churches. That's all he was doing. We know there's at least one more letter to the church at Corinth, which to get three letters from Paul, holy smokes. (laughs) And our connection to Corinth, like how close we are, Mm -hmm. we should, Mm -hmm. we should sort of pay attention. Um, but I just think it's such an interesting contrast because Jesus, in this moment, uh, he knew that those words were going to live on forever. And we're reading Luke's account this weekend, 
Luke is depending on, um, uh, many believe, Mark's account as an earlier recorded gospel, plus eyewitnesses that he went and interviewed. Mm -hmm. Luke himself was not an eyewitness to the majority of Jesus' public ministry. And so this wasn't just Jesus whispering, right? This was not like the Netflix show where you're just like super close to Jesus and he's saying it because there's a camera right next to him and you can hear it. Like there, he's shouting this loud enough that people around him can hear him. People are bickering and casting lots for his possessions at the foot of the cross. Mm. And he shouts this out, knowing that people would hear it at the time and knowing that 2,000 years later, we'd still be talking about it. That is a, it's worth the pain. Mm. Just need to let that breathe for a little yeah. bit, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I thought a, a, a very interesting point that you brought up was also the reason as to why he was on the cross and how unjust that reason was. Right. Uh, and how the ruler in, in that time even wanted nothing to do mm-hmm. with that and washed, washed his hands clean. Why did you choose to include that? And why did, how did that set up Jesus on the cross? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, uh, it's just really important for us to understand that just like a week ago, Everything that Satan was offering to Jesus, he could have done at any moment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, not even because of like S on his chest, just because this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Like we just read that. Like mm-hmm. God, God could show up and do whatever he wanted. We, literally right after that temptation, angels come and minister to him, right? Uh, but there are all these like points of resistance uh, where Jesus continues to push back against the uh, temptation of his own flesh, uh, even willing to sort of accept and step into unjust realities because the entire point was he would take on an unjust punishment so that the just punishment we deserve, he would take. And we won't get into it necessarily in this series, but one of my, pa- one of my favorite moments leading up to the cross, one of the most powerful uh, sermons I've ever heard uh, was um, in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, the, the night that Jesus was portrayed. And uh, I mean, Jesus, fully God, fully man, says, Father, if there's a plan B, mm-hmm. like all the things that we're talking about, all this mm-hmm. unjust stuff, all the show trial stuff, all the pain that I'm about to experience, uh, the moment, God, my God, why have you, for like all of those moments, if there's another option, let's do that one. But, he says, not my will, mm. yours be done. And uh, we don't obviously get a look into the Trinitarian relationship of was there more back. What we hear in that passage is that immediately after, angels were sent to minister to him. In other words, the father's like, yeah, this is the plan. Like, yeah. And th- I mean, th- this was not God's backup plan. This was always the plan. That's... Uh, from before the foundations of the world, it was like, we are going to create this. And the way that Lewis in that quote talked about, uh, literally God created the parasites that he would die for. You're like, oh gosh, like that's so true (laughs) and uh, so hard to hear at the same time. But I think that's, we see all these unjust moments and it's like, oh, well, Jesus, like he allowed all of this. This was always the plan. And then I think we're not Jesus, but to understand all the hard things in our life too, the same sovereign, all-knowing, 
in control God is sovereign, all-knowing, in control today. And so even the things we wouldn't sign up for, when we flip the page to Romans 8, that God's going to use all of that uh, for our good and his glory, for those who are called according to his purpose, uh, hopefully that gives us a ton of encouragement. Like, I wouldn't have signed up for that. I didn't know this was going to come. That was really painful. That was really hard. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean that we glorify it. It doesn't mean that we're excited. I grew up in a home with um, uh, lots of physical abuse. And I don't, I mean, I'm very, uh, I try to be very careful in the way I talk about it because I'm not saying like, God was like, let's get people abused. I, I think right. God, God was providentially allowing me in that situation and he knew the growth that could happen in my life through that. And uh, so I, I, I just think it's important for us to understand we should not look to Jesus with pity because he had to go through this. He was the reigning, ruling uh, creator of the universe every moment that that bead of sweat rolled down his forehead. Um, and he was doing it for us. Mm. And you touched on and, and kind of landed this with saying like punishment was permitted by God. And it, and it was so that we essentially could be forgiven. And so when I looked at it through that context, it was like, well, all of that was for me specifically for Mark. And that was really hard to wrestle with <laughs> and very convicting. And so thank you for challenging me in that because yeah, yeah. I know that's what you love to do. I mean, we went to Second <laughs> Corinthians, right? Mm -hmm. uh, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And like there are passages that you can, uh, that you can just add a word. And I don't think it's exegetically violating, hmm. but it's wildly uncomfortable, right? Like he made him who knew no sin to be sin for Jessica. Hmm. And you're like, oh gosh, I don't. Mm -hmm. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for Mark. Mm -hmm. And you just, the, the, there are just so many powerful lines that we'll get a chance to look at over the next few weeks. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I think that if you saw like an Easter play, shout out to Easter plays when you were growing up. <laughs> Uh, I just think that out of a desire to make it kind of like kid friendly, we just removed a lot of the really difficult, painful parts of this. Mm -hmm. um, and I think when we see the level of pain that Jesus was willing to go through for us, we see the extent of the love that he was willing to extend to us. They're, they're connected. And so, um, yeah, it's, you know, it, Hard realities, necessary realities, and hopefully in the middle of them, we, we see, I mean, what, did, what was the, what the Lewis quote end with? Uh, this was the invention. He is the inventor mm. of all loves. You're like, well, th if this is love, yeah. I'm not sure anything I've ever said yeah. that I love, I really love. Yeah. Like, if that's, if that's what love is. Uh, and I think that's really challenging and hopeful at the same time. Yeah. 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 That makes my mind think about, I went back and I watched the Asbury um oh, yeah. that sermon and that was about that like i love tacos right, right. but is that's not the same thing as loving my wife or something something yeah, to yeah, that yeah. extent mm. did you hear the interview with that guy no uh so there's there's I don't, i'm trying to remember who interviewed him it was not one of the things that i've been really impressed with is the way folks at asbury have talked to non-christians hmm. about what's happening like it's been pretty impressive there's a podcast so far from a Christian podcast called Honestly, um, and they did a special on Asbury Revival. Uh, Barry Weiss is um, she's the like host of it, and she tries to have like conversations with 
different sides or whatever. Uh, I think it's basically a political podcast. Uh, but she did one on it and she, her and then the person that was like on the ground there, they really do not have a faith framework. Mm. And every person they talked to was so charitable and so kind and like mm. very aware of their language. And it might have been in that podcast, but somewhere they were interviewing the guy that spoke and he was just being so honest. He was like, look, I, you know, I, I had my, my travel plans got changed and I showed up and he's like, basically I had had a chance to like work up some notes. He's like, I got off the stage. I thought I bombed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I just thought it was, I just phoned it in, you know? And you're just like, what a, uh, if, if you do anything publicly, mm-hmm. whether you, uh, yeah, I, th- I just think that, um, God has this funny way when those of us that do things publicly, you go, well, that was a terrible podcast or like that sermon was awful. Or you think like that presentation was terrible. And then somebody comes up to you and goes, oh, actually, that was the best one you've yeah. ever done. Uh, actually kind of annoying when it happens, to be honest, because what I want to say is like objectively it wasn't. Hmm. Um, but I think it's one of these ways that God reminds us like maybe it isn't as much about yep. you as you think it is. And I'm sure for someone that works in media, that would be such an interesting conversation because you're talking to someone that, that quote unquote started this revival movement, right. this national attention with focus and all of this hype around it. And yet that person's not trying to get a book deal out of this. Right, right. Well, maybe yeah, they are. I don't sure. know. Or yeah. just not trying to say, hey, okay, I, I'm like, I'm starting my brand now and this is my right. brand launch. Yeah. It's completely the opposite. Like, oh, I thought I did a really bad job. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think what I think that's what the Bible calls humility, right? Or, yeah. me, or mm-hmm. meekness, right? Yeah. It really felt, yeah. as you say that, it makes me think of the word meekness, which I define as power under control. Um, mm. And I think, uh, yeah, it was just a, like I said, I've just been, I don't know everything about all of it. And I know it's, it's, it's been, it's been co-opted by every group, by every Christian group in America, because that's what we do. Um, but the, the person that was there, like on the ground, they said, well, I didn't really sense God. I mean, they don't, they don't, they wouldn't even claim to have a relationship with God. So I would love to have a, a follow-up question to mm-hmm. that. But they're like, I didn't sense God, but I just sensed a lot of human kindness there and mm-hmm. warmth, like this mm-hmm. inner warmth. And I thought, that's the way a non-Christian experiences the presence of God. Like, that's what, she doesn't know that's what she's describing, but it's Mm -hmm. like, oh man, there's like so much profound Mm -hmm. kindness here and Mm -hmm. warmth and I feel safe. And God's like, that's me. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, it was was, was really impressive. Yeah, shout out. I mean, I'm I'm sure lots of the folks over at Asbury listen to this podcast, so. Yeah, yeah. Hey, what's up, everybody? Don't platform build out of this. We're rooting for you. Do not platform (laughs) build. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when I think about it, that's, probably how I would say that I feel Jesus is like, you know, kind of comfort and peace and warm mm-hmm. when you're with community who's very kind and, but yeah, we know what that is. Yeah. Well, and, and we use spiritual language for better or worse yes. to describe it. Right. Yeah. We're like, right. Oh man, the presence was strong today. We're yeah. Like, what, are we in Star Wars? <laughs> right. Like that's, <laughs> we just mm-hmm. have phrases. Presence that, is strong mm-hmm, with this yeah, one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Start talking like Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> I have a historical judicial system question for Fantastic. you. Was for me? Yes. <laughs> yeah, for Jessica. Yep. Was it guys. normal for people to have show trials during this time or was it an abnormal thing? Because in my mind, I'm just thinking like my very basic knowledge of this is like they present the trial and the crowd yells like, if you yell this loud, we're going to do this. If you yell that loud. <laughs> so is that like, am I thinking about that correctly? Or it, So in the time that, that uh, so, you know, at the time when Jesus' show trial takes place, Rome is 
is really fully in control of this region. Mm-hmm. Pilot is kind of this regional leader is fully in control of that. Um, I would venture to say, and I, like I've not done thorough research of like, let me look at other cases at the time. Um, but I would venture to say this is, if not the only time, one of the very few times that something like this would have happened. Okay. Rome was really known for its judiciousness. So even later right. in um, re- later in the New Testament, one of the times when uh, Paul gets arrested, th- Paul was a Roman citizen. So he had actually access to things as a Roman citizen as it relates to the judicial system that he wouldn't have had if he wasn't. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we, we see the kind of artifacts of that. And then if you go uh, open up the pages of Exodus and Leviticus, there are basically three laws in the Old Testament, three types of laws. They, a Jewish scholar wouldn't break them down this way, but it's helpful for Christians. Um, there's the judicial law, which is like you're a, a citizen of Israel. There is the ceremonial law, what makes me ceremonially clean mm. to be in the presence of God for a feast or festival, sacrifice, etc. cetera. Um, and then there is the moral law, so think Ten Commandments. Um, we are actually not bound by any of those laws, and that may be just for somebody today. They just need to hear that. Mm. Um, you're free from all of those. The moral law is how we apply uh, the law of love that Jesus instituted, right? That all the law and the commandments are wrapped up in this, that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, the Shema, and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything hangs on those. Everything else becomes application. Everything we read in the New Testament, everything we read from the moral law of the Old Testament is an application. We don't do that to get to God. We do that because God got to us. So I get, I get that question probably once a week from somebody. <laughs> the other two laws are completely irrelevant to us. We don't need the ceremonial law because we have a mediator in Jesus. We no longer need to maintain ceremonial cleanliness. Uh, so when you think dietary restrictions, I've heard, I've heard Christian preachers talk about why you shouldn't eat meat that has, that's not well done. Because I'm like, what are we doing? <laughs> They're misreading Leviticus. Um, and then <laughs> the, the civil law or the judicial law was really, really um, sort of very, very detailed and in the first century, pretty confused, right? Because you had this built out law for Israel, but Israel was simultaneously underneath Roman rule. So Mm -hmm. typically um, it would have actually been more difficult. Like it wasn't just what you were trying to do within Israel. It was what you were trying to do within Rome at the same time. So to watch both of those things get confounded and to happen at this speed and to get Jesus up on the cross, I think the moment that people said Hosanna, mm. it was like we're finding mm. a way to murder him. There's no like he he'll he'll destroy all of this. And I, you know I'm I'm sixty percent Ashkenazi Jew. I'm not saying this to make like an anti-Semitic statement. Um, God used them too. They were protecting and preserving um, their system. And I just think it is so important, especially for Christians today, for us to remember how. Uh, core in the heart of our defensiveness and insecurity out of such good motives that when we become um, defenders of systems, Hmm. what we're capable of. That's so good. (laughs) I love that. So as people are going throughout this week and you challenged everyone to enter into this moment to fully take in not our ideal picture of it, but what actually happened. What are your hopes for people as we're journeying together to experience this on Easter? Well, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, the, the buzz term is multisensory, right? I think um, lots of us have ways that we experience something like this 
intellectually or uh, maybe even one more step that you come and engage in a worship service. Uh, but I, I just think multisensory and comprehensively, uh, what does it mean for you to really make space in your life over the next few weeks mm-hmm. to prepare for Easter? Because I just think God uniquely shows up when we do that. Like we talked about Advent, it gives us kind of the same opportunity before Christmas. But um, when we think about uh, when we think about the Linton devotional book that you know you can grab at a campus or you can find online, if you read that last week, you were really looking like a diamond at just one more angle, one more angle uh, of Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing every day, right? And getting a chance to personally reflect and consider more scripture and try to listen for the uh, heart of God in your life. Uh, and I just think, man, what, isn't that cool that we get to do that? Or you're listening to this podcast maybe, and hopefully something that Jessica or Mark said is helpful and you kind of just, you know, turn the volume down when I'm talking. Or maybe it's <laughs> Menlo Meditations and it's this chance for you to really slow down. Um, but somebody gave me this metaphor um, that I think is so apt and I, I'm, I'm trying to process it well because uh, I think there's a way to process it that's not helpful, and I think there's a way to process that it is. Um, we are being formed all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're not a Christian, you're being formed every single day. And if you are a Christian, you're being formed every single day. The gospel is a counter-formation experience. Like, it is working to form you in many ways exactly the opposite of the world. And if uh, we were to create a picture of that... Uh, one is a fire hose that is constantly hitting you, and you're just getting pressed up against a wall, crushed every day with the value set and the formation practices of our world. And then oftentimes as Christians, we go, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, that we show up on a weekend occasionally and we go, Jesus, I just really need some help. And even if he's a fire hose, which unfortunately oftentimes we're distracted and you know we're, we're sort of checked out. Uh, it probably feels more like a trickle, but even if it's a fire hose, it's a fire hose for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you go back to the fire hose the rest of your week. And so um, I think to be able to visualize whether it's the um, practice of fasting, whether it's the devotional stuff, whether it's the podcast stuff, whether it's weekends, a combination of those that you go, you know what, um, I'm going to turn the tap up on the formation influence of God in my life. And maybe through some of that fasting, you need to turn the formation practices of our world down. Uh, and I'm not advocating for subcultural Christianity where you abstain from anything in the world. I'm just saying, like, to be aware of that tension, I think the more we prepare for Easter, the greater awareness we can have for the tension between the formation of our culture and the counterformation of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned a lot of those resources. Uh, we put a lot of time and thought into really trying to lead people into this season well. And so you touched on a whole bunch. Another one that I would like to, we, that doesn't get a lot of love on this podcast, is in-person meetings with your life groups and small yeah. groups. Like that is such, one of my favorite things about doing podcasts like this is just the conversational yep. aspect. People coming around the table, listening to each other, asking questions. And for me, that is a huge like way that, that God speaks to me and gives me things to chew on or convicts me or, or gives me things to pray about. So if that is something that you need during the season, maybe you're like Phil and you just moved here <laughs> yep. and you're feeling like this is heavy. I wish I had friends to process this with or community just to, to say hi to. 
we have all of those um we have all the all of the life group information on menlo.church or you can reach out to anyone at, at your campuses and they would be happy to help you find a group so and if you're in a group the lent devotional has resources yes. as well or some questions and stuff yeah, like yeah. that you can mm-hmm. use as your group that's what my group's doing yeah mm-hmm. like at the end of each week right there's like mm-hmm. targeted group questions yes. that are really helpful yeah exactly did cheryl write all of that mm-hmm. yeah holy smokes yeah way to go cheryl yeah. yes way to go if you don't know what we're talking about head to a campus and grab one at the at info central or text our team 650-600-0402 and we will mail you a hard copy of this book we've already sent out quite a few so nice. we'd love to do that it is a great resource they're also available online in a pdf version too for you to read on your ipad or tablet or phone so make sure that you leverage all of those resources and phil anything else before we go um i just want to make sure that if you were with us this weekend you heard this uh if if you weren't i want to make sure you hear it that mm-hmm. uh i spent the first few minutes talking about at menlo you know we've gone through um honestly like the last three years i would say most churches uh don't survive the last three years that menlo has survived and not just their survive but i would say actually menlo is better on the other side of it hmm. in a whole bunch of ways and so uh that's so good and um you know you'll hear me say phrases like um we're we're committed to being a a church where the pastor is not the product uh where a kind of celebrity culture is actively avoided and that's not an indictment on any particular leader. I'm not trying to take shots. Um, I'm saying this is this is a movement that we're going to have to actively resist of a church of our size, scale, and complexity, and we're committed to resisting it. Um, but realizing not only the hopeful future that we have, but the actual reality in front of us, uh, lots of things over the last three years were sort of designed to say, let's just keep it all moving. Let's not make any major changes. Let's kind of wait till we see what's next and and who's here. Um, and so one of the first decisions in that vein that was being talked about before I arrived, but uh, I never want to abdicate my relationship to that decision. Like I came and joined the conversation and agree with this, and it is also my decision. Um, but our leadership team, our board uh, here at Menlo and myself, we've decided to merge uh, San Jose and Saratoga uh, campuses into a new campus at the Saratoga location. And there's a lot of reasons for that. I, I had a chance to be in Saratoga for a really good conversation after services yesterday uh, for several hours. Uh, mm-hmm. I couldn't make it to the one in San Jose. I apologize. I, I, was, I just couldn't get there fast enough after teaching the last service. Um, but we tried to make space for folks to be able to express honest uh, hurt and frustration and grief because this is loss and people will experience change often, at least in part, as loss, and that is normal and healthy. And at the same time, um, I think there is uh, such optimistic hope that I have uh, seen and heard and that I believe uh, for the new Saratoga campus. And, uh, so, and so all that's happening. There's information on our website you can find about that. If you maybe want to be a pioneer, maybe, maybe you live around Saratoga and you've only been um, kind of a, a part of the online community at Menlo, and you're like, I'm, I think I'm ready. Like, I want to actually mm-hmm. show up somewhere in person. This could be a great way for you to mm-hmm. do that. We call that uh, uh, being a pioneer. You can sign up for more information or to become a pioneer at our website as well. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I, I would just say to sort of telegraph, that's not the only change that we're going to have to make at Menlo. That right sizing Menlo um, is 
is something that uh, we're trying to do thoughtfully. Um, a metaphor that I've used is just where we are as a church. Uh, we're going to be okay, but uh, we have to make changes with a scalpel, and it still involves cutting, and it's still painful. And I want to be kind in that, and I want to be clear in that with our staff team and with our church. Um, but if we don't use a scalpel now, we'll have to use a sledgehammer later. Mm. And so, well, uh, well, it's something we all want to avoid. Um, I really hope and pray that the Lord uses what we're doing right now and the prayer that's behind it. Um, yeah, for a really amazing future, and it will look different than the past. Um, but just just for you to be able to pray specifically and directionally for you to know about what's going on at San Jose and Saratoga. Um, and we're going to make some some really cool investments at Saratoga that I think will help us think through what does the future of multi-site ministry at Menlo look like, not just for our four remaining campuses, but uh, for future campus expansion. Uh, hey, what does it look like to walk into a space that's a Menlo church? What does it look like to experience hospitality? What does it look like for my kids to show up there? What's the integration between digital and physical? Like, there are ways that I think we're going to be able to experiment at a campus like this that are going to bless our whole church, eventually mm -hmm. bless the opportunity for multiplication, and hopefully, by God's grace, bless the Bay Area and beyond as we learn together. So, just want to—I I didn't want to finish this podcast if you like didn't mm -hmm. hear the message, mm -hmm. and yeah. then somebody's like, "Isn't that crazy?" That thing Phil said. You're like, what thing? He didn't say any of that in podcasts. He must be trying to avoid conflict. I'm not. So I just wanted to, before we go, let you know. Do we have a date for this merger? I know it's on the website somewhere. We're, so I, sh uh, I should know this. I'm yeah, very yeah. sorry. March, uh, March 19th is okay. kind of the soft launch. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, really Easter is kind of the like, yes, uh, that's you know what we're trying for. In so. many ways it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. the 12th is the final uh, we can put the information probably in the show notes, so sure. don't don't believe yeah, me. Yeah, put but a think, link to the. I think page. the twelfth yeah. is the uh, final service at both locations, um, where we'll get a chance to honor those those campus teams and honor uh, volunteers. But uh, shout out to Josh Robertson and the the team mm -hmm. that's kind of the new Saratoga staff team. Mm -hmm. They're doing a great job uh, walking with tremendous character and wisdom. And for folks that are moving around, Allison is coming up to Menlo Park as the uh, new worship leader on mm -hmm. our staff, and everybody at Saratoga is like. We're so mad because she's so awesome. And everybody at Menlo Park's mm -hmm. like, yeah, yes. It's going to be great. It's going to free Josh Fox up to do uh, kind of higher level creative stuff. I think it's going to be great. Uh, and then uh, Alec, uh, Alec Bohian, I mean, shout out, uh, praying for him and John as they're kind mm -hmm. of figuring out what ministry together vocationally at the same church looks like. And they kind of felt like, eh, you know, this might not have been our ideal time, but uh, we're praying with them mm -hmm. about where that is. And he has walked through this with just, supreme integrity mm. and i think he ran a marathon yesterday which oh uh, that's insane wow um so anyway just yeah there's there's people all around in this conversation that have uh just shown up really well and if you're a part of menlo church you should be so proud mm -hmm. um of the ministry that's taken place at these campuses this is not because these campuses have failed that is not true uh this is because we work better together the more aligned we are and the runway that it was going to take these two campuses uh, to look more similar in size, scale, and complexity to the rest of Menlo. Uh, we just didn't have the kind of time and financial run rate to get there. And so um, our hope is that this is really, really honoring and value add, and that in the future, whether we're talking about San Jose or South City, uh, we get a chance to have strategic conversations and can pray about what opportunities we want to see the Lord open the doors for. But we have to strengthen the campuses we have first, mm -hmm. and this mm -hmm. is the first step to do that. Amen. Well, if that... If you need to 
talk through that at all, again, you can text our team. Happy to do that with you or point you towards people that will uh, want to walk through this with you, walk by your side, pray with you. And I think it'd be really cool to end this with a meditation. Um, Matt Summers gravitated towards um, with the first meditation that we released from him for this last week. If you don't know what we're talking about, these are devotionals that are released every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on the Menlo Meditations podcast channel. You can find that wherever you listen to podcasts. And they're meant to be listened to in the morning to set your day on Jesus and to remember what we're doing, why we're doing it, and how we're journeying together through the cross. And so he landed on some of the same scripture that you used in your message this weekend. So perfect tie in there. So we're going to play that now. Phil, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much, everybody. Blessings to you. And have a great week. Bye, everybody. See ya. Let's start with two deep breaths. Our passages for today are Luke 23, verses 32 through 34, and 1 John 1, verses 5 through 9. The Crucifixion of Jesus Two others also, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that is called the Skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. God is light. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now imagine Jesus saying, do you feel far from me? You're closer than you think. You are on my right and on my left. You might believe that you've done something wholly irredeemable. You may have suffered because of your decisions or circumstances. You might be tempted to defend your actions, to seek judgment for your accusers, to bring wrath upon those who condemn you. But I say to you, in doing so, you are no better than them. You will not find light by making the world a darker place. The only thing worthy of death are the desires of sin. Purification is painful, but it is nothing compared to the soul-damaging burden of shame. Do not deny your conviction. Embrace it. Do not conceal your confession. Share it. For in doing so, you will be vindicated in my kingdom, which transcends all mortal law. My innocence is your immunity. My truth is the truth. My light is the light. And every day is another chance to choose darkness and death or to join me in paradise. 
You're closer than you think. You are on my right and on my left. Peace be with you as you journey in the way of Jesus in this Lenten season.